0: The sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics While taking truth into the arena of ideas You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast Brought to you by bellatorchristi.com Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo As we enter into the arena of ideas The Word of God says The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics, while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christi podcast. My name is Curtis Evelyn. I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day well hello everyone we've been praying for you we know that uh, coming into thanksgiving and there's uh there's uh, a lot of a lot of issues coming on with uh, with being able to celebrate and, and uh be around family so we just pray that that everybody uh is stay safe and uh and stays cool keeps her mind cool in this in this situation that we're facing so anyway we got a, we got a heck of a podcast today and let's go ahead and uh, welcome welcome on uh, brian chilton and then we'll get rolling
0: hello brian hey curtis hope you're doing well i'm doing good we have with us good. today a very very good uh in fact he's no stranger to bellator christie and he has written a couple of books uh, we want to talk about today. One is called, and I and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Psychonics. and the other one is entitled The Only Spaceship Closet in the Universe. And we yep, have with us, we have with us today, Mike Burnett, and, uh, and and again, we've had Mike with us on before. Uh, and and Mike, for first, so first of all, welcome to the Bellator Christie Podcast.
2: Well, thank you, man. These are strange times we're in, right? It's uh, we're getting together for Thanksgiving, and that old uh, cliche they used to say about not touching someone with a ten foot pole <laughs> might need to come to <laughs> fruition this year.
0: <laughs> so there are benefits to social distancing, I guess you could say.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, well,
2: goodness. you know, we're, we're all we're all kind of hunkering down and figuring out how to do Thanksgiving and be smart for for Christmas, and we want to do that. You know, quite honestly, Christians are, are learning better ways to share the gospel than ever. Absolutely. So uh, this is just amazing that we can do
0: this. Well, I've got to admit to you, Mike, I'm a, I'm a kid at heart, and I was telling Curtis uh, before the podcast that I, that I am exuberant because I found out that uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is actually going to be on network television. Uh, they cut a deal with PBS, so uh, mm-hmm. uh, so so we will at least have oh. a Charlie Brown Christmas uh, this Thanksgiving.
2: Brian, it's not without Charlie Brown, Christmas, and Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer, <laughs> it is not Christmas.
0: Amen. Man, oh.
2: if, if, you know, I, I'll get a tear in my eye when Rudolph's lot, you know, nose lights up and he has. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That's
1: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, I like the Elf too. You know, Elf yeah. and um,
2: and uh, the Santa Claus. You know, all of those. I have to see them all, and no kidding, we'll cry every time I watch. It's a wonderful watch. Oh,
0: there classic. you go.
1: Mm-hmm. Even if it's the two thousandth time. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we enjoy just sitting down and just watching some of those every now and again. We just we don't uh, we really don't take a lot of time watching tv around this place we just one we just don't have the time and, and but we we try to you know always have those kind of things playing in the background you know and um usually on thanksgiving morning we're usually watching the macy's day parade and such you know and geez, i don't know if that's even going to go on so
2: yeah it will but you'll be wearing a space suit provided by tesla this year <laughs> all right well, and speaking uh, of, did anybody, did anybody watch the launch? <laughs> yeah, that looked pretty cool. Actually, it looked like a front of a Cadillac. The old Apollo Eleven used to look like a, a scrunched up it, closet. It's sort of like my story, but the yeah. new ones they look like a, a, a you know a Cadillac uh, Escalade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: Unfortunately, I missed that. I'm going to have to go back and catch that after the podcast. You have my, you've piqued my curiosity. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Well, Mike. First of all, uh, I mean, because we've had you on the podcast, but for those who may not be familiar with you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, maybe even share some, because uh, because you, you had you were a DJ uh, for a uh, radio station. Maybe even share some of the the experiences you had doing that as well.
2: All right. Let me give you the thirty second commercial without boring you.
0: All right. Um,
2: okay. Married, two adult children, one grandson. I'm a southern boy from Richlands, Virginia, in southwestern Virginia, uh, black belt in Nishi Saido Karate. I speak pretty good German because I lived in Germany for 17 years. Um, attended Liberty University telecommunications. I was an American Forces radio disc jockey doing morning radio shows for a long time in Germany, Japan, Korea, Italy, Afghanistan, Iraq uh, everywhere so all along the way I've got the interview I, I just really couldn't go down the entire list but I've uh, interviewed and spoken to everybody from foreigner to Duran Duran Kid Rock JLo Willie Nelson big and rich it just the list is quite honestly endless I got to do a show for MTV when oh, I man. was in Germany. Um, and got to rub the elbows and, and just have a really good time. The opportunity, the communications, um, the ability to, to, to bring America to service members around the world was important to me because I grew up as a military brat for 20 years living in living in about 10 different states and about seven different countries. So being able to do that and um, bring uh, parts of America two people overseas before we had all this thing um, related to the internets um that was that was nice that was fun that was uh important to the morale force of service members around the world but since then i retired from the air force as an american forces disc jockey and became a department of defense public affairs officer and uh, we'll still probably do that for a couple years unless my books sell really well Um, I'm a, a lay philosopher, unlike the new Dr. Chilton. Or have, you, <laughs> have you got your degree yet?
0: Almost. I've just finished the classwork, providing that I've passed both courses. I've got to, uh, in fact, take German, so I may be uh, sending you some text messages for some help on that. <laughs> and then i got comps, and then hopefully dissertation well, starting next summer. So uh, hopefully 2022 well, I'll be walking.
2: Well, I will tell you that my biggest fear as a lay philosopher is when guys like you and Leo Purser and Gary Habermas or J.P. Moreland read my book and raise their eyebrow and go, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because it's like when me being, I was in the uh, military in the Air Force for 26 years, I'll watch these movies on Hallmark with my wife about service members, and... The guy's uniforms will be so screwed up they won't be wearing their hat right? I'll be talking about it <laughs> And she'll like would you just shut up the room <laughs> and uh, So do me a favor. all you really smart apologists out there let people enjoy the book because I tried my best to do good philosophy but I tr- you know I'm creative so I didn't always let the facts get in the way.
0: Well, speaking right. of which, you had some major endorsements uh, for for Psychotics.
2: <laughs> yes, thank you. I, I I've had some great endorsements. Leo backed me. You you backed me. You know, uh, Doctor Moreland gave me some really good words, saying that it was very uh, uh, re- relatable and re- readable. And um, he has my book, reading it now. As does Gary Habermas. And Leo Purser, they're all reading it. Actually, well, I don't think Gary Habermas has got to read it yet because his wife said he she wanted it first. <laughs> but, he did, but he did say it was a very cool cover as she snatched it off their kitchen counter, <laughs> right? And you know, um, I will tell you that as I have matured in this process, I've become. Um, A huge C.S. Lewis fan, and C.S. Lewis called himself a supposer, right? Doing basically narrative apologetics with things like *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. So that's kind of what
0: I've. Okay. So. Okay. So. I'm I'm sorry, Mike. We we had a little bit of a technical glitch there. uh, Just in case it were to show on our um, uh, a podcast. So you were talking about narrative apologetics and C.S. Lewis.
1: C.S.
2: Lewis is the excuse me. C.S. Lewis is master of narrative apologetics, and uh, well, even Alistair McGrath, who is uh, probably one of the hugest modern day advocates of C.S. Lewis, um, talks a lot about the importance of narrative apologetics. And if guys like you, Brian, and others that are becoming, uh, you know, PhDs in theology. And apologetics and all these pastors around the world are getting smart in apologetics and we're not applying it to the rest of reality then we're failing so Very we've true. got to do we've got to do that we have to be sought light we have to get the apologetics back involved in our art and our music and our culture and in everything that affects society and it is that clear thinking It helps to start to teach people, right? Because if if you, um, there was a, a poet back in the 1900s by the name of Percy Shelley, pretty famous poet, and he said that the poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world, which was pretty astute because he was only 30 years old. Atheist. I hate to quote an atheist, right? But, but he was he was right because a lot of times the people who are writing the modern day music, who are writing the new poetry, who are showing you the um, the early um, paintings of like the Picasso or the Monet Monets and things like that, they're they're speaking to you philosophically about shifts that are happening in our in our culture. So. We need to learn how to communicate with our society. We need to learn how to speak the same language and be soft and light and be able to influence that narrative apologetics in ways that actually communicates. Because, you know, you and I will talk together and we'll use some $20 theological words that we learned at seminary or reading uh, William Lane Craig's you know, systematic theology book of some sort, and we'll impress each other, but we'll go to talk to friends or family, and we'll get a very word-blank stare in their eyes. right? <laughs> because they won't know what we're talking about. But if you go back in time and you uh, look at things that Dickens did with Christmas Carol, or were written about uh, Santa Claus, we still remember a poem that was written by Samuel, you know, who was it? I can't remember the poet's name, who wrote um, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. Anyway, you you can look it up. Um, but we remember these stories 100, 150, 200 years later, or longer. We remember stories told to us from the New Testament. But we have trouble reading and hanging on to academic material so if we can take all of this smart stuff we're learning and roll it into our culture we're going to start being more effective i think because maybe it's me but my experience growing up has been that the church has been about 10 miles wide and an inch deep in Amen. biblical understanding and it's time for us to get deeper
0: well, and it's one thing that brought to mind uh, is something that Dr. Falwell Sr. used to say if, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. And I think yeah. that applies to every aspect of life. I mean, and so we, we need to be engaging the culture through art, through literature, and, and various different means. And I think you bring up a great point. And, you know, in fact, Jesus himself taught in parables, taught in these stories, and these stories. are are powerful and bring about these theological truths, but it's through these narrative stories that he tells that uh, it it really makes an impact.
2: That's exactly right. And Paul, when he was speaking at Mars Hill, he referenced um, secular philosophers, and he talked to them about the gods, the different gods (laughs) and the unknown god, and he, he, he engaged them where they were. He didn't get all offended and go off in a huff and separate himself, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's really it's really great when we can come into the fortress and refresh and strengthen ourselves, but that's not what we're supposed to say, you mm-hmm. know? And either are we supposed to go out and just write books that Christians want. that's I'm not saying that's entirely bad. It's not. The music is good. The The, the literature is good. We should also just be writing because, you know, in my mind, and and Francis Schaefer used to really harp on this. The fact is that you know there's not a sacred pie and a secular pie. <laughs> there, there's a pie, Amen. and there are there are things that are that we believe that are wrong, that are sinful, that we shouldn't be doing. But you know, if there is a beautiful painting that, or even of a person, right, you can look at it and you say, well, that's a painting of a person who was made in the image of God. That's a painting of a mountain that God created you know anything even anything that we do creative even if it's a even if it's a supposal like I was talking about my writings being proposals well guess who came up with creativity
1: mm.
2: God God did right. Right? He, he's he's the creator he created us he created beauty he created colors he created my beautiful little dog that I love so much he created this planet that we should take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to. We need to to branch out, and we need to to not be so myopic in our spiritual view. Amen. Yeah. All right. I'll take an offering now.
0: and <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll be done.
0: <laughs> so, Curtis, you have a question uh, number two.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was, just, I was just sitting there just grinning from ear to ear on this one. Just, he's, this is good. This is good stuff. But anyway, so number two, Mike, uh, what are some of the apologetic influences? What are your apologetic influences that you've had? Well, right now, there's so many great guys
2: and gals out there doing apologetics that I wouldn't want to offend anyone because um, – I love the work that Michael Lacone is doing and Mary mm-hmm. Sharp, Sharp and people mm-hmm. like that now and uh, Jerry Hall, Jerry Walls, um, and those and uh, Greg Kokel, all those guys out there now that are going after it. Right? Mm-hmm. There's there's like like a ton more that I didn't mention that are doing super jobs. my, probably my foundational influences, and I already mentioned them. Well, you know, I told you that I went to Liberty University. Well, when I went to Liberty University, you can just imagine how long it it was because I sat, my first philosophy class was with, uh, foundational philosophy class was with Gary Habermas in 1979, 1980, somewhere in there. And Francis Schaeffer came there multiple times to speak to the university, and I would sit, I will tell you, I will listen to the man, it's the first time I, I was made aware that Christians had a brain, <laughs> <laughs> because before then I thought you, we were just a bunch of nerds hanging out on church on Sundays, and he made me start to really think about what I believe and thought about and relate to truth, and you know... Uh, the rest of the world in material energy brought about by chance if there was no truth. And what, what all that meant, he was using words like existentialism and rationalistic and humanistic and finding what humanism is. And, you know, I understood like 10% of what the man was saying. I have his complete work now, and I think I understand 15%. Um, but he was a major influence on me, uh, William Lynn Craig, my goodness, he, he's been impactful in my life. He actually answered some questions for me while I was stationed in Afghanistan in 2009. I was sitting in my, uh, in my hut in Kabul, Afghanistan, and he was, uh, generous enough to answer a few questions for me. Uh, J.P. Moreland has been, a uh, I never expected these guys like Gary Havermas or William Lane Craig or JP Moreland to ever answer me. <laughs> right. <laughs> to me to to me this was like more impressive than when I ever interviewed Kid Rock or Foreigner or Willie Nelson or any of those guys. I was actually, you know, more nervous and more impressed with them than I ever was interviewing any of these rock stars in the past because These guys are truly rock stars of apologetics and um, have taught me more as a lay philosopher reading their books and listening to their podcasts than, than, uh, wow, I could have ever learned by attending any school
0: anywhere, probably. Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, same question, but different scope. What what are some of your uh, literary or writing influences?
2: Well now, now people are going to like peg me. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I man, I love good. I love a good story. All right, um, but probably some of my favorite ones. And if you read my books, you can tell. Okay, you can see where some of my influences are coming from because my first book, Psychonics. People say it's kind of like a Tom Clancy of apologetics because it's very technical. And uh I mean it's very good nostalgic and romantic um information, but I also get get down in there and um you know, give you some detail like Tom Clancy will discuss the size and the speed and the rotation of a bullet while it's leaving a certain machine gun. (laughs) And I'll do that with consciousness too. JP Moreland gave me some great material that I use create creatively and um uh, David Baldacci, John Grisham, Lee Child, uh, helps me, you know, for my more violent side of my nature. Um, (laughs) You know, I think these guys are just amazing writers. I have read some Stephen King. I don't read all that because I don't get into dark stuff. But he, he wrote some things about John F. Kennedy that I found, I forget the title, It had to do with the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Which was like, uh, uh, was it a 10, 63, 11, 63, something somewhere in there? Um, these guys are have amazing talent. I kept thinking, you know, these people these people are so amazing in what they do. We need to have people like that who are who understand good strong Christian apologetic thinking mm. which i just which which i just consider logic right because oh, i read their books and i can see their worldview extremely i can see their world views extremely clearly and i keep yeah. thinking well you know you you're very adamant about it they'll say religious things they will be in the sense of the liberal theology that they used to preach from the 1800s to the 1900s. It's, it's all this liberal idea of, yeah, we, you know, we act like there's a God, but there's not really one. Uh, but it's nice that you believe he's true. And they'll, they'll say things and to make people feel better. And one of my books we'll talk about shortly kind of feeds into that a little bit more.
0: Well, one quick thing before we jump to the next question is, you know, you're talking about Stephen King. And while I'm not into Stephen King's material that much, I do like the old 1960s editions of The uh, Twilight Zone. And, uh, you know, I know that we're, you know, this is a television show, but one of the things I love about Rod Sterling's storytelling is the fact that there's always this twist in the end. And, you know, some some of his material was a little dark, others were more lighthearted, but I love that little twist in the end. You you, you get to think in one direction, and he'll, you know, he t- twists the story on you. To, and I think that makes the stories, at least to me, very memorable as well.
2: It, it is. It's memorable, and it, it connects with you in one way or another because. They tell real-life stories. They're real people going through daily life, raising a child, playing a baseball game, whatever it is they're doing, and they throw in a twist. Quite often, they're trying to tell you something. To To believe that you're just listening to an innocent story that was just put out there is to be ignorant because wow. not everyone has a worldview and is telling a story based whether they're doing overtly or just because it's how they were raised to believe, it's still happening. They may not be even. They may not even be aware that they're doing it, but they're doing it. Right? You could say, "Well, you know, you just did this and that," and they'll be like, "Oh no, I didn't. I don't even know what that is." But they are still living it. They're still uh, exemplifying it
1: in their work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's,
1: that's interesting, because I knew you were going to say something about the Twilight Zone, Brian. I just <laughs> yeah. knew it.
0: But, Absolutely. <laughs> but the, but the, the,
1: the, the, the twist, like you were saying, at the end, you're, you're just... You, you. But by the time you watched enough Twilight Zones, you know there's going to be a twist, so you anticipate that, and then when it doesn't happen, that just throws you all off again. <laughs> But, it's, but it but it's good it's a good it's a good thing that, that what it does is, it, it is exactly what you're saying is it, it it records that that story in your mind hey do you remember this da, 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 da. and it records it so quick because it's got that twist and I think you see that when when someone's engaged in the scripture and and there's a dramatic part to the story we remember the dramatic, Right off the bat, but then we start, as we start thinking about it, we recall the complete story, and then names start popping up, and then right. we understand the whole concept behind it. And I think that's that's really what, what we're
2: seeing here. Yeah, exactly, that is that is so true. When you watch any of those stories, and I, I love them too, uh, but when you watch them, you'll see that they'll leave you in despair, or they'll leave you with a hope, or they'll leave you with a false hope. Or they'll leave, they'll leave. you with something that might even make you feel good, but kind of dirty,
1: right?
2: <laughs> and you know that they do that on purpose, right? They're uh-huh. trying to tell. They're trying to tell you that what you're thinking or feeling isn't real, or that if you did believe that, you're kind of stupid, but you should hang on to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right, but they they're they're, 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 they're uh, It's kind of like that final experience that Francis Schaeffer used to talk about. People are always searching for that emotion or that thing that will connect them with the universe, but they that they don't relate it to God. But They're thinking that somehow that's going to bring them some mm-hmm.
1: sense of some sense of hope, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So then, Mike, what is what's the essence of the story behind your book? <clears throat> psychonics. Well, psychonics um, was born out of a few things.
2: J.P. Moreland and his discussions and writings on consciousness and how consciousness emerges from a three-pound gelatinous ball stuck up in our head here. And William Lane Craig's teachings about God's omniscience because he talks about God being cognizant of and locally active in our lives. And I used to think about that while I would walk and listen to his podcast. I like, how does God, how is he aware of what we are thinking and how is he locally active in our lives, right? And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But So the book talks um, about mental health issues it talks about um, thoughts that around unifying the thoughts and brain the areas of the brain and is responsible for the emergence of, of consciousness one of the things that intrigued uh, Gary Habermas I think is the aspect of near-death experiences I bring to life in the book which is no pun. I bring It'd be ease to life.
0: Oh. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Mike. Um, I was so into what you were saying, I I missed the yeah. twist. <laughs> no, 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 no. Quite
1: honestly, I missed it too. Like, I only figured. No, out I'm, the, I'm on. The, I'm on this side, just dying, laughing. <laughs> That's yeah. good. that was. Yeah,
2: quick. I I only figured out how brilliant I was the moment I said it. Really. <laughs> so only then. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, the book is. Um, all of that, right? All those types of things, narrative apologetics. But it's also a romance and a Christmas story. It also talks about two brothers who grow up in their childhood. And it's very re- reminiscent of some things that happened in my childhood. Growing up in the backyard, building a tent over a clothesline with army blankets, reading comic books by flashlight at night with Kool-Aid and... Um, some Kool-Aid containers and desserts cookies or whatever provided by my mother right Mm -hmm. Um, now it's not it's not autobiographical in any sense but things are drawn from real life circumstances um, from my life from mental health things that are going on from from uh, things dealing with PTSD with schizophrenia other aspects of mental health problems that people experience I find that very important issue um, so I made up in the book I, I, I wondered because of the, the God being cognizantly aware of and locally active in our lives I made up a substance called subcon radiation and um, the psychon radiation is a substance that just connects us with God and with everybody else people have it in different uh, levels. I don't want to say too much, but the uh, laboratory, the Innovations Technology Laboratory discovers the mental substance and they develop psychological bionics, which will enable, amplify mind mind communication. So, it, come to find out, one of the people in my book has stronger psychon radiation in his body. So, he ends up being able to do things that other people can't, even though he has usage of the psychotics right mm. he he and his brother who was a, a doctor dr mark star that he grew up with the same kids that were playing in the backyard tens now he's a doctor colonel steve scott was in the military has mental health issues he's a doctor that's looking for ways to resolve his ptsd and that's how the story proceeds PTSD, there's espionage the Chinese, hey, that's relevant, right? And the discovery of this special um, ability. Stephen Scott, the criminal Stephen Scott, even faces death in a cryogenic storage DUR called the Amaranth, okay? And from that Amaranth, when they try to help him bridge the gap between life and death... Kind of like a flatliner's type of uh, scenario. Ah. Ah, okay, he gets to okay. catch—he gets to catch a stunning glimpse of heaven, mm. and later on, who knows? He may or may not get to glimpse more and more uh, um, aspects of heaven. I have to be careful how I tread, and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this, but the. But I missed one important part. I guess maybe I said it, but you know, J.P. Moreland's work on conscious really centers around the mind-body problem issue, really? and with you know, how does the brain function? You know, are we um, are we just our brain, or are we our mind and brain? Are we our mind and body? Um, you know, J.P. Moreland is a substance dualist. He believes, you know, that the mind has causal effects on the brain. And I think the arguments that he gives and some of the arguments that I go into in the book make it clear that that's very illogical. Because even when you and I are thinking or having a problem, when we worry, we cause ulcers in our body. It's the mind that initiates physical problems, mm. or physical, or helps us to heal. So it just makes sense that ultimately there would be an ultimate mind that would bring about everything. And I know I'm preaching to the choir with you guys, but uh, I, I think as you read through this, you'll see clearly. Uh, and look, I don't go down just one side of the issue. There's there are a couple atheists in my book. There's at least three atheists in my book who argue the other direction um, to to show what other people think, and I don't necessarily make them all to be horrible people. Right. So it's it's okay to, I mean people people believe different things, and I, we shouldn't treat people like they're horrible. Um, right. But we can teach people, and we should continue to teach ourselves how to think. Right. Right. That's what I'm hoping psychonics will do. It'll help people to continue to learn how to think about how we think, why we think, how how do we even have the ability to think? What does thinking mean? What does having a belief mean? What is a thought? How do you unify thoughts in your brain? What does unifying thoughts mean? How how can we even do such a thing? All right, those are those are pretty significant
1: questions.
0: Absolutely. And this kind of, I mean, I wanted to make a point, point. this kind of goes into the next question. Um, but before I ask that, you know, I, as one who has dealt with anxiety issues myself in times past, you know, I got a lot, of, uh, J.P. Moreland wrote a book, I can't remember the title offhand, but he's talking about his own struggles with anxiety and how he overcame that, and uh with my own struggles, there is a lot to be said, as you mentioned, about the mind overcoming even some of the lies the body tries to tell oneself. Uh, like for instance, I had another friend who deals with anxiety, and he says the body will lie to you because the body will make you breathe real rapidly. Uh, and, and you've got to overcome that by mentally saying it's okay and then making yourself take deep breaths uh, along with other things, so I think there's a lot to be said on that. Um, yeah,
2: Brian, I think I think that you're absolutely right, but I would also add that there are biochemical reasons that people have anxiety sure. and other issues, and that we need to not ever dismiss that absolutely. and wave it off, wave it off as being some type of demonic oppression or not thinking clearly. But there are people that are experiencing real biochemical you know problems that medicines will fix right exactly i would say my 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 my, uh daughter is getting her phd in psychology at the moment Mm -hmm. and my wife is 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 finishing up a, a master's in counseling and they they are you know they deal with those kinds of situations all the time and if i sound like i know what i'm talking about in my book at certain places it's because I've either experienced it or I've read it in some of the research papers that I've done
0: oh sure <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think I think more even he even noted uh about the he, he noted the very same thing that you were talking about that that uh sometimes medicine is necessary because as you mentioned there are biochemical things going on in the brain. In fact, I, I've had some friends who have suffered from uh, you know, bipolar issues and some other issues as well, and where they had to take medicine to alleviate those chemical problems going on. So, yeah, I agree with you there, absolutely. Um, right. But additionally, now, what, what are, and you mentioned some of the questions. What, what are some additional questions or spiritual Questions or or takes that you hope people will take away from Psychonics.
2: Yeah, I touched on it a little. I think questions about who you are, what you are, how that you're wonderfully made. Question: I want I'd like people to question your ability to reason and to communicate, and what it what that even um, and what is it that even makes that possible. Right, so. Question whether or not your life has ultimate meaning, and whether there really is, as Francis Schaeffer said, a God who's there, right? That's listening, loving, desiring to restore His relationship with you. Why should there be hope? Why should there be a thing called love if if we're just a brain, a biochemical functioning machine? There is no love. There is just a process that is happening. There's nothing that you would really call love. Mm-hmm. So I believe I believe that the evidence clearly says that there is a God, though, that is listening, loving, and desiring. It's not a, you know, a myth, as people like to suppose. I think that the evidence is overwhelming. I think that we've just lost our ability to think logically.
0: Amen. Yeah. So Curtis, you want to take number six?
1: Yeah, I don't know if did we lose him or is he still on. No, I'm here I just shut up oh. <laughs> I, 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 I I I I felt
2: like if I kept speaking up i have to take another offering. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> and folks, if
0: you want to well, give an offering go out and buy Mike's book.
2: Yeah, hey, that would really that would help my grandson's college fund. It really would. <laughs>
1: it was it was kind of it was kind of one of those where where you're where you're talking just a little bit ago, and you were talking about how, um, about how you know the mind can control the the heart rate or or the anxiety or whatever we hear or see in in some in some aspects, you know. And you know, I my mind it, it, it's as bad as the it's a good movie but it's a bad movie all in one but my mind goes to the silence of the lambs when 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 he's when he's when he just yeah when he just shuts shuts himself down and is able to to actually process through and get through something without having his heart rate go up without having any any indication of any of that and and that's 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 some powerful stuff when we really start thinking about how God made our brains and our bodies function together as as they do well let's just be clear being a
2: psychopath it's a fallen state of the nature <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, but it is amazing our minds can do are wonderfully and amazingly made and the more I read and think about consciousness and the mind um, and the complexity of the universe and of our mind and everything else, the more it just clearly demonstrates that it had to be created. I I can't, there's no part of me that could imagine
0: that everything that is happened by accident. Right. Well, even Thomas Nagel, the great uh, atheist, well, I think he may be agnostic, actually, the philosopher... From New York uh, University He wrote the book Mind and Cosmos uh, What was it My, my materialism uh, Almost certainly Is false and Almost so,
2: certainly Right
0: Yeah I mean Or is most certainly uh, I've got it here somewhere But anyhow uh, You know Even he being An agnostic philosopher Appeals to consciousness As a means of showing That uh, you know there, There's got to be more To this world Now why he doesn't make Cross the threshold And accept that God exists I don't know, but uh, it, I think it does show the power of what you're talking about, that uh, the power of the argument behind the consciousness.
2: Because it's ruled out a priori. When they do that, they set the rules and decided what the answer is based on the rules instead of examining all the evidence, right? right. So if you, if, if you decide that you're not going to average all the teams in your neighborhood to figure out what the average scores are for your favorite baseball team well you're clearly not going to get the true answer right it's that way with anything that you pursue it's not like religious is some special category you you, you have to be logically consistent in your thinking The, the discovery the growing the maturing happens in science, it happens in apologetics, it happens in religion, and we're not even saying for those listening who are not believers, that Mm -hmm. we know everything, because we don't. Because, you see, Christianity isn't invented, or truth isn't invented, it's discovered. Mm. Right? So, So we are continually, we all have something wrong with our apologetics, something wrong with our thinking, but we continue to accept that, and to grow and to learn but that doesn't mean we can't know the truth because right. um you can, you can know the truth without knowing everything i this can know kid. i can know that that is a tree i can look at it and I, and you can say well what kind of a tree is it it's one with pretty leaves um you know it has red and brown leaves that are falling off uh but i still know it's a tree i'm going to be able to tell you that it has an oak bark. I may not identify the leaves as oak or maple. It may not be that sophisticated. But I can still tell you that it's a tree, how tall it is, where it's planted. I can tell you some simple things. But as we learn in our knowledge, whether it be regarding science, nature, religion, whatever it is,
1: we discover it the same way. Right. Yeah, and I kind of think of you know as you're talking there about how how um, we can actually we can actually know there's a God to know that it's 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 uh Jesus you know that that takes that takes a little more specific um, you know information but we can we can deduce all the way down through there there's a god there's there's these specific points in time where he interacted with the, with the people and we work our way down to and find Jesus We don't have to explore all the genres of religion We can we can actually narrow down just by focusing on those truths
2: That's exactly right. And you know
1: what you can know something personally I think you can
2: know something from your personal experience and from what God has given to you the Holy Spirit I believe that, that that's primary evidence but when you go to um, tell someone else, then you need to sometimes have a little more. Right. more so, how, how does that compare to Mormonism or being a Jew or being an atheist or being a um, Hindu or Buddhist or whatever it is you are? You need to have maybe you, – you need to, just like you would work out at the gym, you need to get a little stronger so you can actually right. – Answer some some um, better questions.
1: Right, right. So uh, you wrote another book, uh, and it's entitled "The Only Spaceship Spaceship clo- uh, clo- uh, Was It Closet in the in the Universe." Yeah, or the other book is actually the other book is actually harder to pronounce. sci oh, like but I'm just joking. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the only spaceship closet in the universe. Okay, right. And, uh, what's your question? But you, will you just, what is the basic premise um, behind that book? Well, you know, it's
2: funny. This came up. Um, this came up when my wife and I were visiting my grandson, and he was playing in his closet with his uh, trucks and his books and all his little toys, like a three-year-old does. And she came by, and she said, "My, isn't it spacious in there?" And he looked up at her and he said, yeah, it's a spaceship. (laughs) And, and, you know, me, I I was like, wow, okay, that's a story, man. Because, you know what, me and my wife, we got in the closet and we shut the door with him. And my my wife, my daughter put uh, moons and stars and planets that glow in the dark up on the closet walls. And we sat in there with him, and we did a countdown, and we're like, all right, we're going to blast off, and we're going to go into space, three, (laughs) two, one. And we're like, (sighs) we held hands, and he thought that was so cool. And I thought, man, this is a story, you
1: know? Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So I took that aspect of it. I also took um, something that I learned from a Walter Hooper interview. Do you know who Walter Hooper is? I don't.
0: Yeah, I can't say that I've heard of him either.
2: Walter Hooper was C.S. Lewis's aide, right? So when he needed something written down or done while he was alive, Walter Hooper would take care of it for him. So Walter Hooper lived long enough to get on YouTube. So (laughs) uh, I, I was listening to an interview by him, and I think it was just from a few years ago, and Walter Hooper described that he showed up at the kilns one day, which is where C.S. Lewis lived. C.S. Lewis had just passed. It hadn't been dead all that long. And C.S. Lewis's brother, uh, Warnie, called him Major Warney Lewis, he was, he had to sell the kilns to pay off some of their debts, and he needed to move out. And he was taking all of the unpublished manuscripts and books that C.S. Lewis had had written and put on, put on shelves in their house and throwing them on the fire. Oh, my goodness. And Walker Hooper walked up and saw it happening, and he said, Major uh, Warnie, or Warnie told him, he said, you can have whatever it is you can carry out. So if you look Walter Hooper up, he published a lot of the things that he carried out for C S Lewis and in C S Lewis's name. But while I was walking, I was thinking, what what if somehow you could you could take that smoke that went up into the chimney and somehow transform it into his untold stories? Mm-hmm. Right? So what I kind of say in a marketing line i say is this delightful tale cleverly involves c.s lewis and magical africus jars would preserve and transform the smoke of his untold stories lost in a blazing fire you'll meet bocard the polar bear librarian and his elfin assistant Lux libby as jack reads his latest story to the younglings the tale involves him and has a much richer meaning sewn in. So to go back into the premise aspect of it, there's aspects of what I've learned from Robbie Zacharias and Francis Schaeffer that are involved in what is really a sophisticated young adult book, like probably Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think honestly it would be for all ages. Uh, young people could read it but it could be studied I think it can be studied in seminary. Um, it has that kind of depth to it because it, the symbolism revolves around Robbie Zacharias' teaching related to forming worldviews. And you've probably heard it many yeah. times, mm-hmm. many times right? right? So your worldview will be shaped depending on on how you view the concepts, of origins, meaning, morality, and destiny. And Robbie, you know, goes into much more depth with logical consistency, empirical adequacy, experiential relevancy, having correspondence and coherence, and half your right. podcast listeners just fell asleep. <laughs> um, but I tell it in a narrative way that is fun in a in, in a in a C.S. Lewis style, because when you read my book, you see the planets of... Um, the planet, the kings, the golden rings, and the new capital of Skopos, they all have meaning related. All the planets and everything have have uh, meaning related around origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Right? And if I start, you know, Brian's taking, I'm sure, tons of Greek. So if I start, you read through the Brian, you're going to smile because, you know, most people who read Greek know that scopos means purpose. Right. Right? So, so through the book, they're headed toward purpose. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> right? But they have, they have to stop off on a planet that is named after origins and a planet that's named after destiny, find two golden rings that are named after meaning and morality.
1: Wow.
2: Right? And that will open up this window. But, you know, space. All the land that lies between where they are and as land is apologetica. <laughs> Which is sort of the apologetics, the kind of the thinking and the logic that they have to travel through to continue to make sense of their worldview. And going back to the whole C.S. Lewis supposed thing, it's not strict symbolism. I loosely throughout it come up with characters that are God-like, Holy Spirit-like, Jesus-like. There is a three-headed Isenbep. There are some other kids that travel in the spaceship with their Nana, who's Mm. very famous famous for her hot chocolate. They plant (laughs) a special hot chocolate tree on one of the planets, which may become another book, a marshmallow tree.
0: Man, you got me craving hot chocolate and marshmallows now.
2: I know, I know. I'm telling you, brother. But (laughs) on one of the planets, they deal quite extensively with Francis Schaeffer's idea of the upper and lower stories of how we cope with religious and non-religious ideas or truths. Right? You know, the whole upper story and lower story of of how people. they live down here where they don't believe there is God. They live as though everything is just rational and reasonable and that's all we need. But when they have crisis in their life or death, they'll behave as though there is a God or they'll talk like there is a God. Um, because they need that to cope. But they don't really literally believe that there's something actual. Hmm. Uh, or scientific it just helps them to to cope so it, it I put a vocabulary list in the back of the book and I explained some of it out a little bit but it's meant to be read first as an enjoyable story but with what I told you you read it right away and you'll be like going, aha aha mm-hmm. because let me add a point here and you may not even be aware of this but Francis Schaeffer came up with the upper and lower story idea from a secular journalist by the name of Arthur Kessler from the early to mid-1900s. He, he, I guess he was the most famous for a book called Darkness at Noon and The, the Gladiator and Yogi and the Kamasar, books like that that were very famous around World War II. So in those books, Arthur Kessler talked about the tragic and the trivial related to things that bring us uh, emotion things that stimulate our emotions right you watch the play and you can cry like we were talking about with uh, it's a wonderful life you watch it and it'll trigger a real emotion and people go for that real emotion as opposed to the real thing Mm. that's out there but uh, and so instead of living in the lower story they'll take a leap of faith and live in the and live in the unreasonable, as opposed to staying down there where they can't really, you know. You hear Wayne Craig and others saying that you really can't live by that set of values. That's what they mean. You you, you really can't. You can't live as though everything's relative. You can't yeah. live. You can't live as though there's really no meaning and purpose. If if you don't believe there's meaning and purpose, at a minimum, most people pretend there is. All right does that make sense
0: absolutely so, so, so
2: I, in a nutshell that's what those books are about
0: well I, you actually I, that's i was going to ask the you know is there well let me go back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk, you know, curtis and i were talking about before the podcast sometimes our, our minds go before our tongues and I, that's what happened there with me so uh you know as a final concluding you know question uh and I think you may have already answered this, uh, is there is there a specific thing that you hope that the readers will take from the books uh, in, in addition to, to some of the things, the insights that you have already uh, mentioned?
2: Well, you know, Brian, um, Curtis, I think that the things that I talk about are probably deeper than most people want to give time think about so first I hope that they'll enjoy psychomics as a story filled with a lot of true-to-life circumstances true-to-life pain and suffering true to life love and romance true to life loss and friendships and relationships because at the end of the day everything we do is about relationships it be mm-hmm. with, with each other or between us and God or between the Godhead, right? So mm-hmm. that that is really what I would like people to understand because that way we won't hurl slogans at each other, whether we're Christians or non Christians or whatever whatever background we come from. We can even if we disagree, we can start to form relationships and not hate each other. I think that Christianity provides a really good foundation for Tolerance, mm-hmm. love, kindness, you know, um, getting along, playing well with others, Absolutely. right? So uh, we, 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 we want to do, do that, you know, and I'm the kind of guy, suppose, because I'm such a huge Francis paper fan, and I think that it's been so meaningful in my life, I want people to remember that. There's not a sacred world and a secular world. There's not a religious world and a material world. Right. Right? There is one world that we live in. There is there is tr- things that are true and false. Francis Shaver calls that antithesis or antithesis, right? So um, sometimes the world tries to synthesize things in the wrong way, but we can synthesize it. In God Mm. we can synthesize all of those things that those stories in the nature of God Who he is and what he has promised us and a meaning and purpose in eternity Um, That's what I want people to think about it's like When I communicate and when when I communicate to you or when I communicate to a non-believer I'm not communicating to you as a Christian who is religious I'm communicating to you as a person that believes something that I think is true that applies to reality. If you don't, don't, then I don't hate you. Mm. Just because I disagree with you, I don't hate you. I can live with that. That's okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's Mm. okay. So we can go forward from there, but uh, let's just, as Christians, let's get strong to know what we believe. And let's start as pastors and apologists and teachers out there to start embrace the creatives start to embrace the kevin harrises the Curtises, the mike burnett's the guys um the michael Leibins, If that's how you say his name with william lane craig to get involved to get involved with um media with mm-hmm. get involved with writing with painting with making music let's more involved. Christians need we are gonna Christians will go spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to go see the next Star Wars movie. But you know, Mike Burnett will put out a book and they'll be like, eh, I don't think so. Like, I don't know. Who's this Mike Burnett? It's like, well let's learn to be good patrons. You know, Absolutely. back hun- hundreds of years ago when Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci were unknowns, the patrons of those days pay them to create. Nowadays we need to have people that are well to do, that have made it in business and large churches to fall in behind and support the least Strobel's of the world who are writing these great books, A Case for Horizon, Right or or just gifted stories or movies so that we don't end up having see if we don't if we don't we end up having Untalented cliches. Right. Happening happening all around us. So we low budget. Low budget untalented cliches exploding all around us. There you go. That's that's the song right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and and that's to me that's embarrassing.
1: You know, right. I was a rock
2: and roll disc jockey for a lot of years. I always prided myself on the quality of shows I did. I you know, I won the number one um, Department of Defense award for Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines around the entire world for being the number one disc jockey in American Forces Radio. I'm not saying that to blow smoke, but you know, I brought that level to my job with a secular job for the military because I wanted to serve my country. How much more should we want to serve our God? Amen. I just gave you a very long answer to a short question, but
0: that's kind of it. Well, you know, let me just say one thing before we wrap up. I think you bring a great point because there is a, uh, I'm not going to mention the radio station or anything like that, but there is a uh, um, a station in our area that will play uh, gospel music, and the music they play and the way it's sung, the way it's presented is awful. It's terrible. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, they're, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure they're doing the very best they can, and, I, and I'm right, not being right, critical, right. but still, I'm thinking, my goodness, they're presenting that for, <laughs> for Christ, you know? <laughs> well, Brian, Brian,
2: look, I think that if people, doing their best is always good enough, so we can joke around and have fun, right, and we, we're, we're not making fun of anybody, because I've even done stupid things, right. But, I'm, you know, we all, we all get embarrassed by people in our lives, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. And if you are part of a certain organization, you can be, repro- you can be embarrassed by people who are in your organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back when I was a young disc jockey, I got my first job when I was a professional job when I was 20. I worked college radio <clears throat> before that. And uh, there was a local, I mean, Brian Curtis, it was the most powerful gospel radio station. It was one of the first FM powerhouses in the area that a church bought. And mm. they, had, they had no idea how to run it. And they had all their deacons doing radio shows. And they were sincere. They were men of God. They did not know how to be communicators on the radio right. at all because they, they would play um, something by like the Cathedral Quartet. And I, <laughs> I, I sat in my house one day. Brian, I was twenty-one years old, and this deacon at the church said he played the song and it tracked off the album back when we played the albums. And he said, "Boy." That was a good one. Uh, let's play it again. And oh, he picked the needle up and he put it back on the beginning of the album and said, Oh boy. And uh, then uh, I'm not even joking with you that he did that four times in a row. Wow.
1: He,
2: the song ended and he said, Oh, that blessed my heart. Did it bless your heart? I go, no, I'm listening because I think for a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) The song blessed my heart the first time, but you didn't.
0: (laughs) Maybe the first (laughs) time, but the fourth or fifth time, it didn't.
2: (laughs) But it did bless my heart that there was a man there who didn't know what to do, but he was still doing it, and you have to give that man credit for bravery. Right, right. There you go.
1: Right.
2: You'll probably get extra pounds in heaven, I'll have something to duck for making fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> At this moment. Oh, uh, man.
1: That's good. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, this has been, this has been a blast, Mike, and uh, I tell you what, you're, you're well-animated. Man, I, I need to take some lessons on how to... How to uh, how to introduce and how to do things because uh, <laughs> it this is good. This has been good for me. Well let's do it again.
0: Absolutely anytime, brother. Open invitation. <laughs> All
1: right, you gotta resell my
2: book here, Brian.
0: Yeah, man, that's right. <laughs>
2: All right so Tytonics is available now on Kindle and Paperback. The Kindle was nine ninety nine. The paperback's a little more. Um The only spaceship in the universe is available for seven ninety nine, twelve ninety nine paperback. Just I ask everyone to go to Amazon and type in Psychonics or type in The Only Spaceship Closet, and it'll come up.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for the reminder there, Mikey. Once again, Psychonics. And the only spaceship closet in the universe by Mike Burnett. And we're going to try to have some links on the uh, website as soon as we release the podcast uh, to, uh, to links to where you can purchase these books on Amazon.com.
1: Well, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, soldier, soldier on, friends. friends.
0: For all you star watchers out there, you've probably heard us talk a lot at Bellator Christi about uh, looking up at the night sky. So we're going to introduce a new feature for you here on the Bellator Christi podcast. Looking at uh, some of the things to look for in the night sky. So if you were to happen to be a stargazer, look for the following things. And this is for November 17th through the end of the month of November in 2020. November 17th and 18th, there are there is a chance to catch the Leonid meteor shower. If you missed the Torrids or could not get enough of them, here's another chance to spot more meteorites. The Leonids will originate from the constellation Leo, close to the Big Dipper. This will be October, Excuse me, November 17th and the 18th. November 19th, the Moon, Jupiter, and Saturn come together in a marvelous display. we've seen Venus and Mercury in the morning skies now it's time for some outer solar system planets on the 19th you can spot both Jupiter and Saturn near the moon unfortunately the Sun will still be up when this happens so you have to do your best to see them or maybe use a pair of binoculars as it gets towards dusk look for the planets near the moon in the afternoon and early evening November 25th, it's all about the Moon and Mars. To complete our family of visible planets, you can spot Mars very close to the Moon on the 25th. It'll be similar to Jupiter and Saturn, except you won't be able to see Mars during the day without a telescope. You can try to catch it just after sundown by looking for the red dot near the Moon. On November 26th, look for the Moon's Golden Handle. On this day, the moon lunar phase will be just beyond Sirius Iridium, the large crater on the east of the moon. The slanted sunlight that hits the side of the crater gets reflected off one of the edges, lighting it up brightly while the other side is still in shadow. This creates a bright handle-like loop on the Terminator, and you can see it at night with binoculars or a telescope. On November 28th, look for more meteors, this time the Orionids, You'll get another chance to see some shooting stars on this evening this time from the constellation orion but be warned the orionids are less active than the last two showers on average with only about three shooting stars per hour so be patient out there november 29th the penumbral lunar eclipse this month ends with a special lunar eclipse for those in and around the united states 11 33 p.m. and 3:54 a.m. Pacific time you'll be able to see a light shadow cross across the moon unfortunately this happens during the daytime for people in Europe so if you're, if you're in the United States you get a special treat treat excuse me on November 29th so be sure to get out there you can catch it with a pair of binoculars uh, or with your telescope but either way Go out and enjoy the beautiful creation that God has made for us. This has been your lunar report or your astronomical report uh, here on the Bellator Christi podcast. Catch more updates as we enter close to the month of December. God bless and remember, keep looking up. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts, and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting com and the Bellator Christy Podcast.